0: It's great to see all of you here this Memorial Day weekend. It's uh, good to be back. We just went to Colorado for a couple of weeks and uh, did a lot of hiking, and it was a riot and uh, reminded me of this series a little bit. We're in this series called Here to There, and ultimately, the goal of the series is to move to this place of looking more like Jesus, moving from here to there. And we've broken it down into manageable. Uh, walk, so to speak. The first section we looked at was what do you do when your world turns upside down? And that was kind of like one of the hikes, one of the uh, little trips we took in this series. Now we're in this part called, you know, having a right heart before God. What does it mean to have a right heart before God? And today's the last message in in this leg of the trip. And then next week we get into uh, this section on prevailing faith. Well, this last vacation, I found myself dividing pieces of the vacation up like that. Do you do that? Like, driving and getting to this place on this day, and then we do these long hikes. And um, I found myself looking at, are we halfway there? Are we a third of the way there yet? I have a watch now that tells me everything, right? It's good and it's bad. Because you kind of tend to look at that thing and say, we've gone three miles. Oh no, we've got five more to go. You know, we're not even halfway there yet. And I remember we did, uh, the, one day we did uh, about 15 miles of hiking, and my watch actually ran out of juice the last three and a half miles, and I was very upset about that because it didn't count then. You know what I'm saying, right? And plus, I kind of thought, how far are we going? And I had to go old school and actually know what I was doing, and it didn't work very well. At any rate, so in this Here to There series, We've broken it down into manageable sections. Today is our last message dealing specifically with having a right heart uh, before the Lord. And we're going to use the book of Jeremiah uh, as our, our text this morning, while well, chapter 1 of, of the book of Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah is the longest book of the Old Testament. So it's not a quick read, it's, it's a long read. He prophesied to the southern kingdom, the, the kingdom of Judah, it, it, during her demise, during her final days when God was bringing judgment upon her. And then he preached right into that time of Babylonian captivity in 586 BC. He had a hard calling, he had to say some uh, hard things and there was a sadness to his message. So here's an introductory thought, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. He's called the weeping prophet. Now, I could note a bunch of fun facts about Jeremiah, but I'm not going to do that. I want to just highlight one important facet to his ministry. Jeremiah, as well as uh, the other, another Old Testament book, Ezekiel, um, they're known because of their individual responsibility emphasis. He, he is a prophet that emphasized individual responsibility before the Lord. Um, In their interactions with people, both Jeremiah and Ezekiel brought home this idea that God deals with each person individually. Amen? Uh, There was a lot of thought in that culture at that time that God would deal with people nationally, but they didn't understand that there was this individual responsibility before the Lord also. And you see some of this highlighted in the book of Jeremiah, specifically in verse, uh, chapter 31, verses 29 through 30. Uh, it says this, In those days, people will no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, the father did some things wrong, the children are paying the consequences. Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. So Jeremiah is clarifying, you're responsible to the lord for your actions have you noticed in our culture how personal responsibility is kind of a lost idea do we not live in a culture that has a little bit of that going on would you say that's true that was going on in jeremiah's time it's going on in our time it's, it's it, this, this book is very applicable to us a college professor gave his class a chance to evaluate his course one of the students wrote i think this is an excellent course But I am concerned that the professor puts too much responsibility for learning on the students. There you go. That's kind of our culture at at, at points in a nutshell. The culture in Jeremiah's time was in big trouble. So God raised up this prophet Jeremiah to preach to that culture. And as it is the case in the Bible so frequently, his message to that culture is very applicable to our time and our culture also. The people in Jeremiah's day had lost their sense of purpose. Well, what is life really about? They had lost that sense. They had lost their heart for God. They weren't really devoted followers of God at all. And Jeremiah chapter 1 then is like a basic training course on what it means to have a right heart before the Lord. It's like the brick and mortar of having this heart devotion that's appropriate for God. It's so... It's material that we're going to look at this morning and material that we need to build our lives on. What you build your life on is incredibly important. Would you agree with me on that? I'm reminded of that once again as we complete phase two. Pastor Kyle was mentioning that we're going to dedicate that next week, right? And so what I, what I noticed there when it started was there was a big hole in the ground. Do you remember that day? And they spent all this time putting foundation in Now maybe you didn't look at that like I did. I looked at that frequently and thought, this is so slow, so time consuming. And then what happens to all that foundation work? It gets buried. It goes underneath the building. None of you ever look at it and say, my, 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 that's a good foundation. You don't even know it's there what you see is everything on top of the foundation you see all the finishes oh look at that color that's beautiful look at that stainless steel that looks really cool look at that tiling in the kids bathing wow that looks just like a waterfall how cool nobody says my 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 this has got a good foundation below it it's solid not one person i've taken on a tour has said that to me we don't see it you know what happens in our own lives The foundation that we build our lives on is incredibly important, and it's often unseen, but it often manifests itself. If you have a foundation in your life that's built on things like you think God is indifferent and God is distant and God doesn't care about you, you're gonna live your life entirely different, you're gonna have an entirely different look to your life than if you're a person that, that understands who God is and, and you're building a your life on the solid foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. All these things manifest themselves into different kinds of looks, uh, but, but the foundation's incredibly I- important and I think that today is foundational material for having a right heart before the Lord, okay? Are you getting my point to this? so as we go through jeremiah chapter 1 think of it as bricks and mortar of a right heart before the lord okay i'm going to use that terminology i just wanted to set that up for you here we go we're going to begin with jeremiah chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. the words of jeremiah son of hilkiah one of the priests of ananathoth in the territory of benjamin the word of the lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of josiah son of ammon king of judah And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as prophet to the nations. So here's brick and mortar number one. When it comes to having this heart that has a foundation on the Lord Jesus Christ. God knew and had a plan for Jeremiah. God knew Jeremiah and he had a plan for Jeremiah. Jeremiah's name means the Lord has appointed. God had created this guy to be a prophet. There is a great lie in our culture, I think, that creates then a general sense of lostness. There is this great lie. It's producing all kinds of people with no sense of direction whatsoever in their lives. It's a basic lie of humanism. It's a basic outcome of hardcore evolutionism. And it's this. You are an accident. You are a product of chance. That lie has messed up a lot of people. Because then they think my life has no meaning, no purpose. There's no rhyme or reason to it. I just came into being by accident, and I'm going to exit the same way. And it reduces you down to something you are not. It saps the meaning right out of life. It reduces the sacredness of who we are and what God has done and has planned for us. Listen to this. This is an application point. You are not an accident. Amen? You are not an accident. Not one person in this building is an accident. I love how David in Psalm 139 makes the point, we are not accidents. Listen to this Psalm 139 and just think about this in your own case, in your own sense. Put it into your own situation. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You have me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. For you have created my inmost being. I say this all the time. I say this all the time to myself. This is like a prayer I say frequently, probably hardly a month will go by in my life without me saying this. For you have created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am not an accident. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You are not an accident. Amen? You were created on purpose. God has a plan and a purpose for every single person sitting in this sanctuary this morning. Do you believe that? I believe that with all my heart. We need to recapture the sense of, of God's hand in our lives if, we, if, we're, if we've lost it, okay? For some of us, we need to capture it for the very first time. Your heart will not be given over to God appropriately until you have a sense of his purpose and intentionality in your lives. We Christians sometimes, we get so used to the Christian language and the Christian truth that sometimes we look quite beyond it. We, we lose the awe and wonderment of it. Um, so we go out to the mountains, right? They're beautiful, amen. Anybody here ever been out to the mountains? I'm talking the Rocky Mountains, real mountains. I mean, I just stopped the times, and Vicki and I stopped. Wow, it's just so pretty. Everything's so beautiful. It's magnificent. You just, you, it's, it's gorgeous. But after a while, you kind of get used to the landscape just a little bit. I don't know if we did two weeks ago. I asked some of the people there a little bit, do you just get used to this? And several of them said, "Mm." every now and then it just recaptures me. I see it again. You know, and what happens to us as Christians sometimes, I think we get so used to these magnificent truths of God that they become background landscape. And at some point we need to stand back and go, "Ah," and just see it again. See the God we serve and his intentionality in our life and how big and beautiful it all really is and just kind of have it overwhelm us. I want to use a story of a person to illustrate this point that's kind of long. It's about John Wesley, but since it's about the founder of our denomination. I, I figure we can take a few moments to talk about him because some of you don't have any idea of uh, what a Wesleyan is and who John Wesley was. So he had such a sense of destiny in his life. It just, it's, it's, a, it's a magnificent story. Listen to this story. Kind of illustrates this point really well. John Wesley is the one our denomination is named for. Um, when he was young, his preacher father, Samuel, irritated his congregation. They were so mad that they... Uh, set his house on fire and I Every time I read this story, I thank God that I know I irritate some of you sometimes, but none of you have set my house on fire yet. So I praise God for that. And Samuel and his wife Susanna thought they had gotten all the children out of the house, but there was little John. He's only five years old. He was still in the house in the upper room. He had woken up. He thought that it was day out because of the blaze and he realized there was a fire. He went to the window and he was crying out the window and he was stuck in the room. And and Samuel tried to go up and rescue his son, but he couldn't get into the house anymore because it was so on fire um, and he was heartbroken and some men seeing what was going on formed a literal human ladder up the side of the house they stood on each other's shoulders got to the window and rescued john and plucked him right out of the fire years later he had these words inscribed under one of his portraits is this not a brand plucked out of the fire and that's from zechariah 3 2 john understood he was a brand plucked right from the fire he was saved, and God had a purpose for his life. And he grew up with a sense of destiny. At age 17, he felt a calling in the ministry and decided to preach the gospel. He assumed by going to Christ church in Oxford that he would gain the needed training for ministry, and he was sorely disappointed when he got there at the sinfulness of the place and the, and the taunting he received from fellow students. So he organized uh, some students to meet for mutual encouragement, And spiritual growth. They fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays and became accountable to each other for the strictest evaluation of their conduct. These actions didn't go unnoticed by the other students who called them Bible moths. I guess in that day, that was a pretty nasty saying. And they also called them Bible bigots and Methodists. And the reason they called them Methodists was because they used a methodical punctual manner uh, to carry out their responsibilities. And so they were called, you Methodist. You know, it wasn't uh, necessarily a, a, a term of endearment. Yet for all the zeal he had, he was missing something. Soon his father passed away and predicted on his deathbed to John. Again, I think this put destiny into John's life. Be steady, the Christian faith will surely be revived in this kingdom. You shall see it through, I shall not and he gave this party message. The strongest proof of the Christian life is the inward witness. The inward witness, John, is the strongest proof of the Christian life. Weeks later, John departed for the Americas to become a missionary to the Native Americans in Georgia. During that 57-day journey, a violent storm erupted, and the Passengers begin to scream and, you know, wail around thinking that they were going to die. And John was upset himself. But then he noticed that there were these German Moravians. They sang psalms and praised the Lord during the storm. He noticed a difference. He was deeply impressed by them. After landing in Savannah, Georgia, Wesley met Elder Spangerberg, a Moravian preacher. And the devout Christian asked Wesley, have you the witness within yourself? Does the spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Wesley was shocked by this line of questioning. Um, Spangerberg persisted, do you know Jesus Christ? And John answered, I know him, a savior of the world. True, responded the Moravian elder, but do you know that he saves you? Does it sound like Jeremiah? Personal responsibility, personal interaction with God. Wesley said, I hope he saved me. Spangenberg gravely added, do you know yourself? Wesley answered, I do. And the interview ended abruptly. For years, Wesley attempted to do this work with the Native Americans and had no excess, success at all. And he, he decided to go back to the missionary uh, society and receive a rebuke in London and be done with it. But God was using all that to prepare John Wesley uh, For something further on in his life. Months later, at a meeting in Aldersgate Street, as the the leader read Martin Luther's introduction to the book of Romans, the Holy Spirit revealed to to Wesley, It's all about faith. John is all about faith and faith in the heart. And John believed in Christ and he felt that inner witness and it changed and it clicked, it changed it forever and it clicked with him. And that began 54 years of ministry that changed literally our history. As well as he began to preach the word and denounce sin, he was no longer welcomed in the Anglican church, so he began to just do an open air preaching. You know, he just began to preach wherever he could preach. And he, he, it's, it's, it's said that he averaged 15 sermons a, a week for 54 years. I think about that and it just makes me tired. It's estimated he rode one quarter million miles as a circuit preacher. I, I owned horses. I made the mistake when I moved to Wilson to, to say for the pulpit I was glad I didn't own horses anymore. I offended somebody because that's Western uh, United States and they love their horses up there. And they thought, how could you not love horses? And I said, I don't love horses. They're just a lot of work and they're not that comfortable to ride. I like motorcycles. I rode one to work today. I call this Worker's Church. I rode it to church today. It's smooth, it has shock absorbers. It doesn't try to bite you or step on you. Amen? Some of you should say amen to that. Now I'm looking at the miners. I know they like the red horses. I, I, don't, I like horses. I don't want to offend it. And I know I'm not going to offend you guys. If you love horses, God bless you, okay? I don't love horses. Anyways, Abundant Labor has brought about significant changes in England and laid the foundation for the spiritual awakening of colonial America. His is a phenomenal life story. I'm convinced that part of the reason for this amazing life that John Wesley experienced was his sense of the divinity and intervention and the destiny of God in his life. Amen? He knew he was no accident. He was a brand plucked from the fire. He had this understanding that drove him as a person. I think God wants you and I to recapture this basic brick and mortar concept. We are not accidents. Every single one of us, God has a plan and a purpose for us. Here's a heart moment. Will you live aware that God has a plan for you then? Will you live aware that God has a plan for you? Will you live your life aware that God has a plan for you? So the call of Jeremiah begins as brick and mortar of the heart kind of thing in his life. He's been appointed as a prophet to the nations. God has a specific plan for him. Let's read verses 6 through 8 of Jeremiah 1, and we'll see what happens next. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. So this next brick and mortar thought of the heart is that we must embrace this fundamental truth that God is always with us. Amen? God is always with us. God promised to be with Jeremiah and rescue him. God said, I'm going to always be with you. Listen, Christ has come. Now he has released the ministry of the Holy Spirit to you and I. So as followers of God, we always have the person of the Holy Spirit living within us if we've given our life to Jesus by faith. Amen? God is always with us. Let me give you some history here. Remember Hezekiah? I talked about him a couple weeks ago. He's died now. His son, Manasseh, has taken over at age 12 the throne. Manasseh reigned for 55 years and did evil in the sight of the Lord. He undid everything his godly father had done. Guess who came at the end of the reign of Manasseh to announce God's judgment now on this little nation of Judah? That would be Jeremiah. Happy day, huh? He gets to be the one that says, okay, this is what you bought for yourself. You bought the judgment of God. Have you ever experienced the burden of the unpleasant? Because Jeremiah evidently experienced that, the burden of the unpleasant. You see, here's, here's how life often works. Oftentimes we have a trial that comes upon us. We didn't ask for it. It might be an illness. It might be some kind of relational thing. You didn't ask for it. But sometimes there's this unpleasant thing that's sitting out there looming in front of us and God is saying, will you step into that and will you be my man or woman? It's a trial, but it's a trial that you have to kind of step into and take on as a burden yourself. That's what Jeremiah was called to do. so tempting to buy into our culture's mantra right now, let live and don't intervene and tolerate everything, and we don't want to say anything tough. But I think God would have us say some things sometimes. It has to be done rightly, with the motivation of the love of Jesus Christ. I remember my second born, she was really good at doing this in college. She went to UND, University of North Dakota. Not our arch rivals, you know. The bison, not them. She was really gifted at communication, and writing still is. And sometimes in a class, a professor would say something anti-Christian. This happened a couple times. And Bree stepped into the burden of the unpleasant. She wrote papers stating... Why she didn't agree with her professor in fact she read me one once and she said what do you think i said good paper what kind of grade do you think i'll get (laughs) you know but that was brie and she did it amazing enough i remember after one that she wrote it was really well done the professor stated he didn't agree with her but the paper was so well done he was going to give her an a anyway so good for her but i thought there was Stepping into the unpleasant. She didn't have to go there. But she felt, I should go there. I should say these things. And our application for this point is this. God assures us that he's always with his children. He's always with us. I want us to say Hebrews chapter 13, uh, the second half of verse 5 and verse 6 out loud together, because this is such important scripture. I would like you to read this with me out loud. Would you read this, please? God has said... Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what can man do to me? You need to memorize that, amen? Some scriptures like this, they need to be imprinted on our hearts. We just need to know God is always with us. Do you believe this? You need to believe this in your heart of hearts. This needs to sink deep into your soul. It needs to be brick and mortar in your heart, God will never leave me. God will never forsake me. I can say with confidence, he's my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man actually do to me? They may kill my body, but what can they actually do to my soul? Nothing, amen. It needs to be brick and mortar of the heart. Let's head back to Jeremiah, and i want to read verses 9 through 12 to you. Then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I point you over nations and kingdoms to so uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an olive tree, I replied. Olive tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. God gave Jeremiah the provision for the calling. Do you see that? He said, I'm calling you to do this. Let's, let's have a look. He coached him up. He said, okay, let's see how you're doing here. And he gave him this vision, and he said, you've seen that correctly. So he's coaching them up. So on this last uh, trip to Colorado, we ended by going to Nebraska to seeing my daughter and, her, and the five grandkids there for a, a day. And then on Saturday, they had a track meet. So we went to their track meet. All of them were running in this track meet, uh, a little regional kind of get-together track meet thing. And so it was for all ages. And I found myself trying to coach up, you know, Car, she's three. You, you can't help it, can you? Some of you don't know this. I mean, I'm competitive. Cars, we can win this, you know? She wants to win, too. Um, but at any rate, um, but I'm telling her, see that tape there? You, you, you have to run through that. Don't, all the kids were running through the tape and stopping, like, I can't run through the tape. I said, that, that you're supposed to run through that. They think it's a boundary. And then they shoot the gun. They all go, what it just happened? You know, it scares them. And, and so anyway, so I'm trying to coach her up. And she's kind of, and coach, Everyone's kind of coach him up just a little bit. And Isaiah was doing the um, long jump. Yikes. He was, he was, he's so fast. But he would just get to the end and run through it. I said, no, 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 you got to jump. It's how far you jump, you know. And then I, I told him a couple of things. And I thought I was brilliant. I told him, it's like getting to the end of the dock at the lake. Jump off into the water. I thought, what a brilliant head. You know, I was proud of myself. He just ran through it. So I thought, you know, what? I'm just going to tell him good job because they did a really good job, you know, of running and all that, and who cares? But, but here God is calling Jeremiah, and he coaches him up a bit. See, here's the application. God equips you for the calling in life. God equips you for your calling in life, he really does. This is one of my favorite thoughts. What God calls us to do, he equips us to accomplish, amen? God equips us for the calling of our life. Years ago, I felt called into pastoring and I went to IWU and prepared and the day came when Pastor Tim, who was a former pastor here at this church, had an opening for an assistant and he interviewed me for that position. And I remember sitting in this office saying, I really feel called to do this do I have to preach? And he said, yeah, I think so. That's kind of how Tim was. He wasn't going to say, no, yeah, I think so. I said, well, I don't know if I I can do that. And then um, I started doing some preaching, and mainly Sunday nights when uh, only the faithful would come. (laughs) And uh, I remember the second Sunday that I was preaching, that second Sunday night, there was testimony night that churches used to do. And the guy who gave the testimony before me went 30 minutes longer than he was supposed to go. So I had this 30-minute message that now I have 10 minutes to do. I didn't know what to do. I mean, I flubbed through that thing. It was horrendous. I had a suit on and a tie because I was recording this for a class, for my preaching class. It was horrendous. It was terrible. And I thought, oh, what have I done? I left this great career at 3M to do this. I, this was a terrible experience. And so I went home that night, and I had an epiphany. I had a moment with God. And I remember thinking, you know what? What happened there that night was I got nervous. I worried about what people thought. I could have done a couple things super easy. I could have said, hey, I don't have enough time to do this, so I'm just not going to do it, which I would do that now. Uh, or I could have just... Uh, abbreviated and at one point, just, whatever, there's a multitude of things I could have done. But I was fearful of what people thought, and I was fearful of failing and all that. And I remember going home that night, I said, God, you have called me to do this. This was just a real moment with God I had. You have equipped me to accomplish this. I will never again, God, before you fear men. I will preach for you and for your glory. But I will not fear men. I will not fear what they think of me. I will do this as unto you and you alone. And it was like a turning point in the ministry for me. The, 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 the confidence came and, 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 you know, that, that sense of, of purpose came. And I think, you know, we need to have these epiphany moments with God where we realize whatever God has called me to do, he equips me to accomplish. Amen? It's not about me. It's about being dependent upon God and trusting with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. And so we have to get to that place. I want to go on to verses 17 through 19 now and finish up this morning. Uh, here's what, what how Jeremiah 1 ends. Get yourself ready, stand up, and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall, to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you, and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So here's our conclusion today. It's time to do it. God was saying to Jeremiah, it's time to do it. God called Jeremiah into a life reliant on his promises and provisions. He said, just, it's time to do it. Trust my promises. Trust my provision. Do what I have called you to do, Jeremiah. I love uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. It reinforces this. It says this, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. And we're not, are we? But our competence comes from God. Amen, right? We are not competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. But our competence comes from God. We are competent because of the God we serve. So I forgot to put up brick number three while I was talking, but this went with point three. Just pretend we're back there. So if you look at your life with this fundamental brick and mortar understanding, God has a plan. God's always with you. God equips you. If you look at your life this way, I think you'll live the best life you could possibly live. If you do not understand this basic brick and mortar of the heart, then you're going to be terrified of life and fearful of others. Years ago, I read an article that talked about how easy it is to get into a mental filibuster with God. God may be telling you to do something, calling you to do something, but you can come up with all the reasons of why that will never work and why you shouldn't do it. And this gal, she was talk and said, I was heavily into analyzing and debating with God to the point that I got nothing accomplished. And she admitted if you keep posing problems, you can mentally and rationally escape the necessity of obedience. She admitted at some point, you just have to accept God's promises and provision is true and go for it. And she said this, and it's been one of my favorite thoughts um, for a long time, and it's your reflection thought here this morning to this message. She said, I'm falling in love with Jesus today, whereas I was just half-heartedly dating before. I'm falling in love with Jesus today, whereas I was just half-heartedly dating before. And here's what I want to just leave you with, Grace Point, this morning. I want to leave you with this thought. It's time to marry Jesus. Amen. It's time to put a ring on the finger. (laughs) It's time to be committed. And it's just time to follow Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's time just to be devoted to Him because you're not an accident. He's made you on purpose and He has a plan for you. He's always going to be with you. He'll never leave you nor desert you. And what He calls you to do, He will equip you to accomplish. It's time to marry Jesus. It's just time to be committed to Him, fully devoted to Him. So let's pray and then we're going to close with a song this morning. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for this chapter of Jeremiah, that really is the bricks and mortar of a right heart. I want to thank you for how well it helps us to finish this section of the Here to There series on having a right heart before you, God. And I want to pray for everyone in here that they personally would realize they are not an accident. That you know them, you know what they're going to say before it comes out of their mouth, Lord. That you formed each one of us. And I think you take pleasure in that, Lord God. I look at the mountains and I look at the streams and I, I, all that grand scenery we've seen for the last couple weeks. And I think, well, how magnificent this is. But God, I think, too, we can lose the wonderment of one another and what you've done in us, Lord. And I think you look at us, and as your word says in Genesis, the creation of man was very good. We're not an accident, God. You've done marvelous things in us, in our bodies, in our creation, Lord. And I pray we understand that. And I pray we understand just how much you really are with us. That you'll never leave us, nor desert us, nor forsake us. That Jesus, you've sent the Holy Spirit to live right inside us, and so we have God in us. I just pray that we realize how incredibly, how incredibly great that is. And God, I know that what you call us to do you equip us to accomplish. So I just pray that we'd step into your promises and provision this morning, Lord, in a very courageous way, and that we'd be people here at Grace Point who love you and are devoted to you and are married to you and committed to you, God, and they're following after you hard. Thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for all the folks that are out here in this Memorial Day weekend. I think of all the ones that are graduating this last few weeks. I pray you bless them. But I pray they mirror you, Jesus. I pray that they take to heart the message shared this morning. God, I I just pray for each one of us that we walk forth from this place on fire for you and committed to following after you, Jesus. I pray these things in your name and by your blood. And all God's people said...